The RCMP is a national treasure, an institution. It's beloved by Canadians. It's also a hot mess. Hello, welcome to the Full Comment Podcast. My name's Brian Lilly. Today, we're going to look at one of Canada's foremost institutions, one of the symbols that people around the world recognize this country for, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It is both a local police force and a national police force. But should it be that way? Is its structure impeding the ability of the RCMP to go after organized crime, white-collar criminals, the transnational mafia and triads that are moving drugs and other illicit materials through this country? Gary Clement is someone who knows an awful lot about this. He spent 34 years in policing, most of it with the Mounties. Now he is a staunch critic of the organization and says, we all, as Canadians, have to figure out what we want from the RCMP. Gary Clement, thanks for the time. Thank you very much for having me, Brian. Before we get into how you think the RCMP needs to change the issues you've seen in your long career, let's let's establish a bit of your, your bona fides. Um, you spent a couple of years with the RCMP. Was it one, two, 34? What was it? 30 years uh, RCMP and four years chief of police. So, you know, my guess is that your career took you to different parts of the country. And one thing that I, I realize as I talk to people in different parts of the country is we all have a different experience of the RCMP. Where I am right now in Toronto, you don't see Mounties. You know, may, maybe at the airport. Do they have them at the airport? Uh, ceremonial duties. In Ottawa, you see them on certain roads, not on others. You see them a lot for government work and ceremonial duties. But in much of the country, it's the local police, it's the provincial police. It, I, I know that's part of your issue with the entire system, but um, what what is it? You know, explain how this is a multifaceted beast before we get into why it needs to change if we're going to crack down on things like organized crime, because I, I think a lot of people don't have a, a full sense. They know what the Mounties are like around them, right. but not across the rest of the country. Yeah, happy to, Brian. And, you know, I, I, I was a proud member in the RCMP. I'm a proud ex-member. But I think what has been lost both by, I think, government and, and senior leaders in the RCMP that um, we've taken – it's become such a complex world that – we all live in today. The RCMP uh, still is trying to be all things to all people. And contract work is municipal and provincial policing in Ontario and Quebec. Um, it's city police forces like uh, Edmonton and Calgary. And so it's very capable. Uh, other police services are very capable of carrying out those duties. The RCMP chose by contract to keep doing that. Unfortunately, what that has done is pitted federal policing against contract policing. And because the RCMP has contracts, they have to, to the extent possible, keep positions filled. So it's very easy to rob from Peter to pay Paul. So uh, taking resources out of federal policing and putting them into contract has been something that's gone on since the formation of, of the RCMP. And that impacts federal policing. Yeah, in fe federal policing would be the white collar crime, the organized crime, things like that. Correct. Narcotics, all of those things at an international level. 
And as a result of it, what has happened, there has been this tremendous erosion in federal policing. And I believe that is led to the situation that confronts society today. Um, all we have to look at is that we've had over 300,000 deaths in uh, fentanyl uh, in, since 2021. All of that is uh, precursor drugs coming out of uh, China into Mexico to the cartels. And there's been a lack of enforcement at the transnational level. And so when you look at that, and then you look at the totality of uh, cybercrime and the complexity that that brings in. You look at uh, terrorism today, and I'll give you an example that Canada is sadly a funder of Hamas. And, and people say, oh, no, that can't be true. But it is because there's been various charities that had continue to fund Hamas here in Canada. We need and, to. Well, and we've seen that through the right. Canada Revenue Agency stepping in at certain points and saying this has to stop. Correct. But then where is the investigative side of this, Brian? And I use the example of building the, we've got FinTrack, which is, you know, is a financial intelligence agency collecting all the financial data on money laundering. They disclose about uh, 1,500 to 2,000 documents a year for investigation. Ask yourself how many have been investigated, and the answer is very few of them. There's not been a so, money laundering charge. So let's talk about this then because, you know, look, I, Gary, in, in, in much of my writing and much of my broadcasting, I've been highly critical of, of the RCMP, not of frontline officers, but I think headquarters is a mess. I think that a lot of their white-collar crime, like they've got this unit that is supposed to look into, um, you know, politically sensitive issues like the prime minister and SNC-Lavalin. Well, they went almost four years um, yep. without updating anyone. And then someone got a an access to information request and said, oh, they're still investigating. The RCMP let that sit out there for a whole day. Correct. Uh, that there's an active investigation into the prime minister uh, who I, I don't want to have to defend Justin Trudeau, but I had to because the RCMP screwed up. They did the same with Doug Ford in Ontario. Correct. They can be ham-fisted on, on the political side. But every time somebody says, well, let's move away from having Alberta be policed by the RCMP, and Danielle Smith, the premier there, has said that, you get voices rising up and saying, oh, we can't, we can't take away the RCMP from Canada. Um, it, it, and meanwhile, Premier Smith is saying, look, we have so few resources. She said this earlier this year. Yeah. She wonders if the federal government is trying to do away with contract policing, as it's called, where they provide the services to BC, Alberta, Manitoba, Nova Scotia, et cetera. She said, I have so few police officers and so little ability to get more police officers that I'm wondering if they're trying to do away with contract policing by stealth just by not filling the job. So that's kind of the, the tension that you're talking about. You've got, you've got the fentanyl issue. You've got the terrorism issue. And then you've got the, but who, who's going to stop the guy who keeps running red lights in Red Deer? Well, the thing is, and I think that's what we have to look at, it's very possible. And, and let's use the latest example where Surrey is in the formation stage of its own police service. And, and you that's know, controversial, though. It's controversial. But, you know, in 1973, when I went out to British Columbia, they were talking about a regional lower mainland police service. And here we are 45, 50 years later, and they're still talking about it. 
Um, what you know, we we got to take off our rose-colored glasses and look at policing and what the needs of this country are. And because tomorrow you're going to form over time a regionalized police service or a provincial police service, you're going to get effective policing. I dare say a lot of the officers that are working in contract in RCMP units today will probably go over to one of those units. Uh, not all officers want to work federal policing. It's a total different beast. And that's why we haven't been able to get that expertise. We need long-term investigators in these areas. When the Nova Scotia massacre happened, we saw the absolute botched handling of that with headquarters in Ottawa getting involved. And Correct. That was very much a local policing Absolutely. issue. Should have been handled out of local of officials. 100% agree. But you had the commissioner getting involved. I mean, so is this one of the big premises of your book then, is that just separate these two things. You, you don't need to have the guy in red surge doing traffic enforcement. And we... We, we do need this national police force, though. Very much so. More so now than ever before. Uh, if you look at, as I said, the world's changed in a complex way. We're looking, look at China and all of the problems that we have with China today. The Chinese police stations. Um, I did a number of uh, interviews re regarding what's going on with the Iranian community and the Iranian money laundering. And there, as you know, there was a big case that was exposed all of that has came out four years ago, five years ago. I wrote intelligent briefs during my time running my uh, consulting firm that I got this information from. Nobody investigated. I, those things are dangerous in my mind. And, you know, I, I, I really subscribe to what Robert Kennedy said. And, you know, he said that we inherit the world uh, and it's trusted to us from our forefathers. And then we pass it on and we someday will be held to account by the next generation. And history will only tell whether we did a good job. And I, I really want to tell people that we're doing a pathetic job with this whole area of organized crime. We are a stopping point for transnational organized crime. It's an embarrassment. You spent time in undercover work, correct? A lot of too much time, probably, Brian, but yes, I did. So... Tell me about that, because I, you know, I've had off the record conversations with police officers on that. You've got to go in and build trust with a criminal organization and uh, basically infiltrate them. That, you know, sometimes that is done at the local policing level in large municipal forces. But when you're talking, as you are, about transnational crime, about, as you say, you know, the triads. Uh, and the, or, or, you know, Beijing approved organized crime groups out of China dealing with the Mexican cartels and flooding our streets with fentanyl. Well, you need a different level of skill. You, we essentially, you, you know, to put it in terms that Canadians might understand better, what you're talking about is the need for an FBI type organization. Absolutely. So I, the Americans don't have anything comparable to the RCMP, do they? Where they, they you know, they're, they're all things to all people. Correct. They don't. And, uh, 
you know, I, a, a good example is, and, and everybody remember will remember Airbus. Um, when I became the deputy crime ops officer, that investigation had been going on almost a decade. And I did a review of it. And my reaction was, why are we continuing with something that, first of all, went way back and it was, as you know, there was a lot of issues right at the outset. Well, you'd never get it through a court of law today. And I, we were spinning our wheels. But the problem was, if you'd looked at the turnover investigators that were handling that file over a 10-year period, it's an absolute embarrassment. Absolute. What do you mean by that? Well, they would start, they'd get promoted, and they were moved somewhere else. The most high-profile investigation in this country, and we're constantly turning over investigators. It's so an so the investigators would be on for what, 6, 12, 18 months, and then move on? Okay. Yep. Correct. <laughs> You know, we've been doing that for years, Brian, it's wrong. Somebody was asking me just the other day, they said, um, well, what's going to happen with Doug Ford? You know, Ontario's premier is now under investigation because the, the OPP said, well, you know, so that we're, our hands are clean, we have to hand this over to the RCMP. And the RCMP, you know, as I said, fuddled with this a bit and then said, oh, yeah, we have an investigation. They said, well, what's going to happen? I said, in about four years' time, someone will ask them, are you still investigating? And they'll have to decide, and they won't really know. And, you know, I highly doubt, based on my experience, that there will be charges. But I do believe that this will take a long, long time for us to end up with nothing, because that's what's happened in the past. And sadly, you're correct. I, this is where you take a look at when normally, not in all cases, the FBI can get caught up in the politics too, unfortunately. But you also have seen where they can go in on a major uh, occurrence, do an investigation, have charges laid within 18 to 24 months, and have the trial over with within a, a total combined three-year period. That's unheard of in Canada, and the answer is why. Um, it, we just got to do a better job. We've got the skills, they're not used correctly. Let me ask you about the politics of this then, because a few people have reproached me and they said, you know what one of the major problems with the RCMP is? It's the political interference, the political interaction, and the fact that the commissioner of the RCMP is a deputy minister in the government. And I don't think most people know that, but the commissioner of the RCMP is a deputy minister is the highest ranking civil servant in a department. So the deputy minister of the RCMP reports directly to the minister of public safety as, as one of their basically assistants. This, this is not a normal policing relationship, is it? No, it's not. And, and one of the arguments I put in the, I put in my book is it's time it's treated very much like, say, Toronto Police, that you've got an independent police service board that the chief uh, reports to. They are accountable. The board is accountable from the administrative side. But operationally, it's 100% the responsibility of the chief in an unfettered role. That is not the case in the RCMP. There is far too much political interference. I don't know if you want to comment on specific recent commissioners, but have there been times when you've looked at decisions that have been made at headquarters and said, oh, that's getting too close. 
that that is that is the political bosses either leaning on the commissioner or the commissioner making a decision to either appease or antagonize the political bosses for you know their own political reasons one of the one of the ones and I, it's in my book brian is uh sidewinder which was the intelligence probe on the chinese uh triads and and infiltration in this country and that definitely uh both for CSIS and the rcmp was shut down because of political interference that was 1997 98 in that era yeah, yeah I, i've spoken to michelle juno katsuya about that many times he was he was one of the CSIS guys on that that's correct. And um, he has been very frustrated at, at how, to, how that turned out. And yet there's an issue that the RCMP and CSIS both tried to deal with. It's getting close to 30 years ago now. And it was scuttled due to politics. And we're still dealing with the, the problems now. In a far bigger way. That's correct. In fact... I was the, one of the liaison officers in Hong Kong for that three-year period. I started the intelligence probe with Brian McAdam on that. And uh, I can remember being asked uh, uh, when I was back in Ottawa, do you think there's really something here? And uh, I can remember telling him, yes, it warrants an investigation. What did the RCMP do? They put a, uh, a lower level investigator on it with not a with no depth of experience in, in that level of sophistication. And then they closed it down. And you know, those are the things that are leading to the mess we're in today. I mean, you're hitting on a lot of my complaints about the RCMP, Gary. And I've I've got a lot of respect for the organization. I don't have a lot of respect for the people out at uh, the headquarters in the south end of Ottawa, and, and that's based on experience. Um, you know, I, I, I've I've been trained in, into the position that I am in because yeah. of disappointment, and it, it, it sounds similar for you that issues of not looking after organized crime properly, not looking after foreign interference properly, that these things have just they've tarnished your view of, of, of an organization you'd like to hold in higher esteem. Correct. I give you a good example. And it really hit home for me was I appeared before the house of Commons security committee and I appeared with uh, a deputy commissioner. And uh, I think the other individual was chief superintendent. Anyways, questions were asked. And of course I was told that, that I wasn't to answer anything. So I sat there like a puppet and all of a sudden, an operational question came up, and it was deferred to me, and I answered. And I can't, I apologize, I can't recall who the chair of it was, but I'll never forget it. I answered, and I got about three minutes into my explanation, and he said, let me stop you there. He said, thank God we finally got a police officer in the room. And he looked <laughs> at the, the deputy, and he said, do you guys not get it? We're the politicians. We want to hear from police officers so that we understand what the issues are. And I never forgot that, Brian, because I think that's a problem. Uh, people at the higher levels do not want to speak, speak truth to power. They feel they have to play politics. And Well, I, we, I will warn you that that happens at the municipal level as well. 
to become to a degree it does to, yes. to become chief of a major municipal force you have to be a politician and you know some of them turn into politicians bill blair did former toronto very much chief so. yeah very um, much so. mark saunders has tried twice uh yes. replace bill blair and, and uh, i've seen others and you know trust me getting answers out of those guys is is no better than getting answers out of a, a deputy RCMP commissioner. You you ask them what day it is, and you get a very long answer that doesn't tell you it's Monday. And that was when I was chief of police. That was my issue with all the chiefs in, in Ontario and Canada. Stop playing politics. Let's get back to doing what we're hired to do. And unfortunately, my view was not popular, as you can well appreciate. All right, Gary, let me take a, a quick break here. And when we come back, I want to ask you about how you would change things, how the RCMP could be restructured and we could have effective policing because we've got many, many issues and problems in this country that are not being addressed because of the structure. So more on that when we come back. Gary, I'd like to ask you what you see as the biggest issue that a federal police force that is just doing federal policing and not road stops and, you know, everyday municipal issues. If the RCMP were to change and were to, you know, be more like the FBI, where they're they're doing those drug investigations, those white-collar crime investigations, the transnational organized crime, what would be the biggest issue they would have to tackle? Well, the first big issue is going to be expertise. Um, there's been such an erosion, Brian, over the last, 10, 15 years. So, so I, but, but I'm asking what's the external issue. And you're saying it's internal. Well, it is partially internal to get the issue, but the externally. No, well, uh, I mean, no, you can explain a bit more about the internal problem. I want to hear about it, but it's just surprising to me that you say that's the biggest issue. They, they, they don't have the right people anymore. Well, all she do is go to the calling commission and they were asked about how many money laundering investigators were in the province of British Columbia. And they came out and said five. Well, when I was the director and ran the program, I think we had uh, 97, if I'm not mistaken. And I had made a proposal to increase it to 137 in British Columbia just because of the demand. And those were people that were supposed to stay in it. Uh, and I, I was able to establish that I could take a good investigator, put them in financial crime. And I needed three to five years to get them up to a, a level that they could effectively take on a, a transnational organized crime investigation. Sadly, that wasn't happening because of promotions outside where I had, you know, obviously really talented uh, individuals. Well, they were very promotable and they wouldn't let me over rank positions. I, I recommended we do away with ranks in uh, federal policing. And that was kiboshed. And as a result, then I would have somebody one day working with me, getting them up to speed. And all of a sudden, they'd receive a promotion in a detachment somewhere in Alberta. And I'd lose that skill and have to start over. But money laundering is a serious issue across the country. Um, British, British Columbia is where it's been exposed the most. And, you know, I... The commission was out. Um, you know, there's been a lot of exposés on that. And you're saying we went from 97 down to five. Is is that still a current number? That five money laundering investigators are in that neighborhood. 
Well, they've recently gone out and recognizing the situation because of Colin and they've advertised to get individuals with certain skills that, and they're not going to put them through the whole six month training in depot. But again, that's not going to happen overnight. That's, but they're in a building process. And I think that's only a bandaid solution at this stage. Um, it's, you know, you can't go part way. You really need to look at what, what's it going to take to be effective in this country. And, if we're going to be effective, we've got to have a highly trained group of people that are dedicated to that area of expertise long term. These issues that you're talking about, though, money laundering, transnational organized crime, the drug trade, the fentanyl issue, the, the, I mean, the opioid crisis that is absolutely devastating our cities, they're all interconnected. I said this Absolutely. during our most recent municipal election in, in Toronto. People were talking about homelessness, about encampments, about drug paraphernalia everywhere. And I said, it, about crime. And I said, well, it all comes back to fentanyl. Fentanyl's the issue. But on, on the policing side, they're all connected because you've got the same people trading the drugs, laundering the money, the organized crime. Is it possible to make a dent in what they're doing to our society. I mean, you go around, you know, whether it's Vancouver or Calgary or Toronto, or I mean, for goodness sakes, five minute walk from Ottawa or uh, from Parliament Hill in Ottawa now. And you see people sitting like zombies because of what's coming into our country. And you can only do so much treatment. If the drugs keep coming, the treatment you know, it's going to have to be exponential. Absolutely. What, and, and I think what people have to understand, if you look at China, I, I use the term, we're in a disruptive war with China because China wants to disrupt uh, dip our, uh, uh, our, our countries like ours, like United States. And the fentanyl crisis is doing a great job. I don't believe having been stationed over in Asia for three years, I don't believe for a minute that if China wanted to shut down the fentanyl uh, problem, they could do. It. They couldn't do it. They have the ability. They don't want to, and that's what we have to understand. The other side of it, I in thirty years, it's I have not seen a politician that is really taking this seriously. And you know, um, I, I've appeared a number of times with Senate committees and House of Common committees. Where is our politicians that are looking at this? Because it is impacting our society. The amount, cost to our society, and this is what I think Canadians have to understand. Our, our uh, waiting rooms and hospitals are full. Why are they full? It's a drug problem. Friday, Saturday night, there is more people rushed in there because of overdoses, et cetera. And that bogs the system right down and the cost is astronomical. We got a military that can't get people to go into it or they have a shortage. 300,000 deaths, most of these are between uh, 15 and 34 years of age, prime candidates to potentially join the military. We've lost that and lost other abilities. We are in a crisis and what I would like to see this any government do, and I'd love to see first, first of all, a spokesperson take this seriously. We need to do a full gap analysis, including legislative loopholes we've got right now. When we're allowing rapists to walk out because 
justice. Their trial didn't happen in a timely manner. That's bringing justice into disrepute. We got to close those loopholes somehow, Brian. Well, I think we have the intelligence to do it. I, I, look, I, I I feel your frustration on, on the uh, people walking free. The fact is that trials were taking far too long. We we don't invest in any of this, Gary. We don't invest in our court That's system. Like there, yeah. you've got you've got to have the right to a speedy trial. And even after the Supreme Court warned and warned and then brought in the Jordan decision, we're still not putting the money into the court system so that people can get out. Of course, there's always games being played by crowns and more often defense lawyers to try and extend things. But we don't we don't invest in our police. We don't invest in our justice system. And then we, you know, well, we'll we'll watch a mob movie and uh, a mafia movie makes us feel better. And. That's fine. But meanwhile, as you say, cartels and triads and all these things bringing in a a very real, very uh, concrete problem into our society that's wreaking havoc on the hospital system, on police resources, on overdoses. I'm I'm not sure how Vancouver Police Service can uh, deal with this when they're having to deal with so many people on overdoses alongside the paramedics and everyone else. I totally agree with you. We were monopolizing resources in an area that is one reason, one reason only there's been a lack of investment, a lack of will on the part of our political leaders. Uh, EB, I think Premier EB is the first one to have taken this somewhat seriously. And a lot, at least he recognized the problem. But if Doug Ford thinks in his province that it's any better, we're dreaming in technicolor because it's bad or worse. Well, it, I can tell you it's not because just like every other province, they're not investing on their side. There is a federal part to this and there is a provincial part to this. Correct. And I, I don't think anybody is looking after this properly. Um, you know, everybody, all the politicians in my view are just trying to look at the day to day and not the long term problem. And what you're talking about is a long-term problem and a long-term fix. Do you think we have that ability in our politics anymore to say, let's, let's do something that we won't see the results for the next three to five years? We have the ability if the Canadian public, and this is what I hope shows like this do, and thank you for doing this, Brian. If we can get the Canadian public understanding that this is something we're going to leave a mess to our children and our grandchildren, and it's going to get worse. Do we have the collective responsibility to try and fix this? I believe we do. I believe the time is to call for it now. Um, the, as you know, the Proceeds of Crime Money Laundering Act is up for review. There'll be hearings starting up shortly. I wrote a paper on it. I, I, according to one of the people that sit on the committee, I'll be asked to testify before it. And my final conclusion in that is we can't wait another five years to talk about this. We need action now. And I, I believe that sincerely. And, uh, you know, when you're turning 70, you only got so long to keep fighting these issues, Brian. And uh, as long as I'm here, I'm going to push this agenda because it's the right thing to do. And I think we have a responsibility. So rather than just golf, you're going to keep pushing this issue. Hey, I'm still working full time, so you got it. <laughs> the uh, 
There, there's so many interconnected issues here, and you've mentioned FinTrack, you've mentioned proceeds of crime. The tools are there, but it feels like on every issue we come back to, it's that nothing is properly resourced or funded. And we can all complain about that in our respective jobs. But but in right. this, we can see the results or lack thereof. And so talk to me a bit about FinTrack. I, I, I knew some of the people that helped set it up. I watched that process happen in Ottawa it, in the days after 9-11. That was supposed to be there as kind of an early warning system to say, hey, funny things are happening. We should look into it. And what you're telling right. me is nobody's looking into anything. Well, very few are. They've done, just so you know, I, I have a pretty strong relationship with FinTrack and um, now in the banking world, I obviously have a stronger one because I have to, but uh, in saying that, um, they have come into their own in a lot of respects. They, they're putting out some really good material, which I think is beneficial to everybody. But uh, my analogy has always been, you build a Rolls Royce, you need to put a motor in it. And FinTrack is the Rolls Royce. The motor is justice and enforcement and the prosecution, obviously. That's been lacking. So you look around and say, well, we've got one part of the ingredient close to being right. And then it falls off sharply because the other end of it is not working. Um, so let's, let me give you a magic wand. Let me give you an unlimited budget. What does this look like in the end? Do you take federal policing away from the RCMP? Do you get rid of the the local stuff and the musical ride? Or how do you do this? I, I think the cleanest way would be to take federal policing away from the RCMP, establish something new, and resource it properly. But then you've got to resource federal prosecutors properly and correct everything else along the way. Again, back to the frustration of under-resources. But how how would you do it? First thing I do, Brian, and I, I say that we need a we we need a committee of experts, and I'm not talking politicians. I'm, I'm saying put a committee of experts. Let's do a full gap analysis. I would believe strongly that it will lead to uh, the federal policing being carved out of the RCMP or the RCMP focusing solely on on federal policing. That's going to take five years because you can't drop uh, the contracts overnight. But it, it, if you've got a, a plan going forward, you can start working on it. We need to have the properly, and we should be going back to an integrated model that we had a number of years ago, where it's a combined law enforcement, it's with tax, with customs, with immigration, prosecutors, all working in one unit. These are complex investigations. You can't afford to do a million-dollar investigation and have it screwed up because of a slip-up of an investigator and the prosecutor uh, finding out in the 11th hour, as we know a number of these major cases have fallen apart. We need to have prosecutors embedded in these specialized units. And then we have to have the ability, and this is where a federal unit comes in, if you get a high-profile investigation, just like the FBI does today, you can pull those resources because it's under one umbrella and you can pull them into a central location and this year task force and this year task and you've got 24 months to get the job done. Not five years, not six years, you got 24 months. Get the job done with the right resources. 
And that's possible. It's just we don't put the right resources. No, as I said, I, you know, uh, just as it took almost four years for Justin Trudeau and SNC, I think in four years we'll find out what happened with Doug Ford in the green belt. And it's, uh, it's a sad setup. Now I, I hope for a better future, Gary, and you've laid that out in your book and hopefully um, some people, maybe the right people are listening going forward. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate this. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name's Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or Amazon Music. Listen through your app or Alexa-enabled devices. And help us out. Give us a rating. Leave a review. Tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Brian Lilly.